0: Today, this weekend, uh, we are going to dive into Scripture. Uh, I'm kind of geeking out over the Bible here, uh, but we're going to dive in. We're going to talk about temples and priests and movie quotes and pillars of fire and all these kind of things uh, and, and dive in. So get, get your bulletin out, get your Bibles out if you want to follow along and I want to set everything up with this uh, little bit of illustration here. When I was uh, a young kid, I remember every, it seemed like every dentist office and every doctor's office had a highlights magazine in the waiting room. You remember the Highlights magazine? I remember as a kid reading through that. And the back of the magazine, there was always this little game they had where they would take an image, and they would zoom in on this image, and you had to guess what the, the picture was. You flip the page, you know, you saw, you saw the result. Well, I have a couple of those for you today. So let's see. Let's get this first image up here. See if you can guess what this is, if you have any idea. If you're watching online, put your guesses in the comments. Let us know what you think. Talk to your neighbor here if you're in the room, something kind of Spiky or something—I don't know. Get your guesses. Let's see what it is. What is it? Think of toothpicks. Think of toothpicks. Anybody get that? Oh, somebody did in here. All right, all right. Let's do one more. One more here. See if you get this one. Any guess? There's kind of this brown, wavy thing here, and yellow, and almost looks like frosting or icing or something. Maybe I'm just hungry. All right. What's what's the answer? What is it? Lego Cowboy, Lego Cowboy. Oh, somebody said they got it. Man, that's awesome. Great, yeah. Well, here's the principle that I want us to get from, from this game, that what looks like uh, something when you zoom in, when you zoom out can be something totally different, right? What you, what you think something is when you zoom in on it, when you zoom out, it can look totally different. So today we are going to go on a journey through Scripture, We're going to zoom in and take a look at the Old Testament tabernacle and temple, the worship system that God set up. And then we're going to zoom out and see how that fits in the whole flow of Scripture and see if it changes our perspective about what that is. And then see what it has to tell us about us today and how we worship and operate in our faith today. So let's, uh, let's zoom in, let's take that close-up view and talk a little bit about the Old Testament tabernacle and temple. So the tabernacle and temple uh, for, for the ancient Jews represented, it was the place that represented God's presence on earth. Uh, so uh, for the Israelites, as they were freed from slavery in Egypt, 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and they're wandering around the desert, uh, God is leading them by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day, and he instructs them to build this, this tent, this mobile temple That everywhere they go, when they set up camp, they set up this tabernacle to represent God's presence. And we're told in Exodus 40 that as soon as they set that up, then this cloud and this pillar of fire at night would come and settle over the tabernacle, signifying that God's presence was there. God's presence was with them. And then later, when Solomon builds the temple in Jerusalem, very similar, it was. They believed it was where God's presence resided. We're told in Second Chronicles seven that uh, Solomon dedicates the temple and he prays, and this fire comes down from heaven, burns up the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord fills the temple. God's presence filled the temple. Right, so for the ancient Jew, the tabernacle and the temple represented God's presence with them, God's presence on the earth. And there is all, like, it, as you read through scripture, there's all kinds of very, very specific instructions about how to build a tabernacle and all the furnishings and what the temple and the size and all of these things. I'm not going to go into a ton of that detail, uh, but it all speaks to these, this imagery, this representation. But I do want to let you know the layout, general layout of the temple was kind of this three-part layout uh, in, in the tabernacle as well. You had the courtyard, you had the holy place. This is where um, the priest offered uh, sacrifices and they did worship and then you had the holy of holies or the most holy place and this is where they believed god's presence resided and there was a giant curtain that divided the holy of holies from the rest of the temple and it's the idea like um of this separation like god is with them but there's this separation this giant curtain and only once a year did anybody ever enter that. It was the Day of Atonement. The high priest would uh, perform all these rituals and it would enter and to offer the sacrifice uh, for the sins of the people. And in the rest of the time, no one entered that space where God was. So you had this temple, this tabernacle, this space where God's presence resided. And then you have priests that worked and operated in the temple system. And they were, the priests were kind of this connection between the people and God. Right, they represented God to the people and the people to God. And the people could go, if you wanted to worship God, you would go to the temple and you would offer your sacrifices and the priests would help you in your acts of worship. Right? And so for the, um, for the ancient Jew, that was the, the center of kind of their religious activity was the tabernacle and then later the temple. And so as you read through, there are some things about the temple system and the tabernacle system that are very foreign to our modern context. But there's also some things that really aren't that foreign, right? I mean, think about think about your, your Sunday morning, right? You you come to a building and you walk in the outer atrium and then you enter the holy place where worship occurs. And then up here is the holy of holies or somebody who works in the temple helps lead you in worship and helps lead you in your sacrifices, right, right? I mean, in some ways, how many of us operate and think about church and worship in the modern context is really just kind of like a modern version of this temple system. But remember, when you zoom in on something, it can look one way, and when you zoom out, it may seem like something totally different. And so I want to zoom out and then take this theme of the temple uh, and priests and see how does this... Rest of the Bible, how does this, this theme get woven through the rest of the Scripture, and does that change how we see kind of the Old Testament perspective of the temple? And so a couple of, a couple of things just to help you understand, um, you know, how the Bible is put together and how the authors of the Bible put things together. You have to understand that uh, they, they are not modern thinkers, Right, Modern thinkers, we think in terms of definitions and bullet points and, you know, describing and this is what it is and this is a definition and this is what it means. Ancient writers talked a lot more in terms of images and metaphors and then they like to connect those images and those metaphors together and build upon them. So ancient writers would do a thing where they would take um, a word or a phrase from a previous metaphor, a previous idea, and they would they would drop it in what they're writing, kind of like to, to bring back the, the reader to the previous thing, you know, and it's um, Tim Mackey of the Bible Project talks about uh, that in terms of, he calls it a hyperlink, you know, like when you're on a website and you click a hyperlink and it opens up a whole other web page. That's kind of the idea, like, Biblical authors would use a word or a phrase to get the the reader to jump back to this other idea, to open this other kind of context up. In our modern world, we don't have a a lot of things like that. I think the thing that comes the closest to that is actually movie quotes. When you quote a movie, right? Think about this. Um, There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Or life is like a box of chocolates. Right? Do you want to build a snowman? Right, right. Um, What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? Um, Why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I don't know, Margo. Uh, Shaken, not stirred. Right? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, right? So what happens when you say a movie quote, it's amazing, like just a few words, and if you've seen the movie, and if you know the quote, I say it, and then instantly your mind goes to that movie, and you uh, you see the context, you understand everything that's going on in that movie, and if you haven't seen the movie, you don't know the words, then everything I just said is a bunch of rubbish, and you're just like, what is he talking about, you know? <laughs> that's how, that's the way it is with Scripture, and so for, for many of us that aren't so familiar with the Bible, we read through, and we miss those, those cues and those contexts, and sometimes we're just like, this just makes no sense. What's going on here? But for an ancient Jew who grew up memorizing the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, they had to memorize that as kids. And then they grew up with these feasts and these celebrations where every single day and year after year after year, the same stories were told over and over and over again again. Right? That was part of their their like their cultural context. It was part of the water that they swam in. And so when somebody would reference a quote, they would be like, oh, yes, this story. Oh, yes, this idea. Oh, yes, this image, this metaphor. So anyway, I say all of that to bring us to, as we journey through this, keep that in mind as we look at this idea of the image and the theme of the temple. And what does that say throughout the whole Old Testament? So let's start Where every person should start in the beginning, right? Let's start in the beginning. We'll go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, have uh, God creates the um, Garden of Eden. He places Adam in it and gives Adam some instructions to work in it. Now, what's interesting, and we kind of just read right through this and don't catch it, but uh, to the ancient reader, as they read the description of Eden, it's laid up in a very similar way to this three-part thing. You have God creates Eden, and in Eden he creates a garden, and then in the middle of the garden is the tree of life. It's kind of like three-part. It's almost like described almost as a temple, the Garden of Eden. And then Adam's placed in that, and God gives instructions to Adam to work and keep the temple. So in Genesis chapter 2, uh, 15, he says, to puts him in to, to work it and to keep it. Now, these the Hebrew words for work and to keep – abad and shamar um, those come up in a significant point later in scripture in numbers in a description of the role of the priests in the temple those same two hebrew words are used to how the people should op- the priest should operate in the temple now we miss this in our english translations because they don't say work and keep we use different verbs uh different words in english but it's the same hebrew word right so the the audience listening to what is written in numbers about the role of the priests in the temple, they would hear these words and they'd be like oh i've I've heard those words before. Those are the same words that God gave Adam when he placed him in the garden, instructing him to do this in the garden and so what 's going on here? So the Garden of Eden, the Genesis account, is intentionally written to depict this image, this metaphor of the temple, that all of creation is God's temple, and Adam and Eve are placed in it, and humanity's function is to operate essentially as these priests to represent God to all of creation. And then the temple is intentionally um, set up not to be the ideal mode of worship, but to actually point back to the garden. And there's all kinds of things in the furnishings of the temple and the uh, equipment used in the temple that has images that point back to the garden. And so I think what's going on here is we read this account in Genesis and we see God's ideal, right? God's original creative intent was to be fully in the presence of his creation for humanity and and God for for, uh, heaven and earth to be together. To not be separated, but to be together and to work together in stewarding this creation. And, and, and so God places humanity in there. But as you read through Genesis, you get to Genesis 3, and you read that Adam and Eve choose their own desires instead of God's ideal, and sin enters the world and fractures that relationship. And now a sinful man cannot be in the presence of a holy God. There's this separation. And so then along comes the temple system, which is a way for God to still let us know that His presence is, is here, His presence is with us and we can have some sort of interaction with Him through these sacrificial systems, through these acts of worship. But the whole temple system is not meant to be, this is to, not meant to be prescriptive and saying, this is how you should do worship. It's meant to, to point back to, God's ideal to say, you know what, this this is the original intent. This is what God originally wanted. And then as you read through Scripture, what's interesting is you read through the Old Testament about the temple system and the priests in it. You get the idea that the biblical authors are trying over and over and over again to let you know just how much that temple worship system falls short. We're told again and again of priests that become corrupt and priests that take advantage of the, the people and um, make money off of them or do horrible things in the temple. And we're told again and again of uh, foreign powers that come in and invade and they take all of the, the implements of worship, all the things inside the temple and cart them off. And then later the temple itself is destroyed and then it's rebuilt and the priest systems is reinstituted. But then that is corrupt too it almost the new temple in jesus time functioned less of a temple and more as almost like a political pawn of the roman empire to try to pacify the the people and so you get this idea as you read through scripture that that this is not god's ideal this is not god's intent in fact it's kind of falling short and you're left you're left as you read through the prophets of the old testament heading uh to the end of the old testament you're left yearning for what there's something more there's got to be something better And then there's this man named Jesus. Jesus comes onto the scene. And what's interesting about Jesus is that he works outside of the temple system. He's not a priest. He doesn't work in the temple. But yet he's doing things that priests would do, like declaring forgiveness of sins and teaching these things. And his early followers begin to write about him in such a way that uses this imagery and this metaphor of the temple. So uh, John, one of, his, uh, one of his closest followers, writes his account the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, he says this. He describes Jesus as the Word. He harkens back to Genesis, the beginning, where God created everything just by speaking, right? He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In other words, he's kind of connecting the dots that Jesus is this Word of God. And then in verse 14, he says, then this Word became flesh. It's kind of this incarnation moment. He says, and then he, the word made his dwelling among us. Now the Greek word for dwelling literally means the word set up a tent or a tabernacle. Any images or metaphors or movie quotes that point back to something else? John's saying Jesus, Jesus became this tabernacle among us. In other words, what was the role of the temple and the tabernacle? It was where God's presence resided on earth. And John is saying God's presence is in Jesus. He, he goes on to the, um, in chapter 2 to describe uh, an interaction where Jesus goes into the temple and he starts uh, turning over tables and driving out money changers, almost like he's trying to dismantle the temple system. And then the authorities of the day confront him. And say, why are you doing this? Give us a sign to show us that you have the authority to do this. And then Jesus says this, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. What? <laughs> they exclaimed. They it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you think you can rebuild it in three days? You crazy man. But then John gives us this little hint. That likely for John, it was uh, later, it was af- probably after the resurrection, that this light bulb moment went off for him. He said, but when Jesus was saying this temple... He meant his own body. And I think for John, after the resurrection, all of a sudden, he's like, three days. Jesus, oh, you're oh, right. Like, like a light bulb moment for John. So he, he saves us, kind of fills in the gaps for us here. But he's saying, no, this temple, the, the temple that Jesus is talking about is his own body. Right? So for Jesus, his body is the temple. God's presence is in Jesus, Colossians talk about the, the fullness of God in a human body is Christ. Uh, and then uh, Peter talks about in, um, what do we got here? In, in Oh, no, not Peter, Hebrews. The author of Hebrews goes on and talks about um, this. And I, I, I want you to read through this and listen to the imagery connecting back to the temple that the writer of Hebrews chooses to, to um, use to talk about God. So, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place, it's temple language right there, because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Right There's some more imagery. And the interesting thing in the um, gospel account when Jesus is crucified, it says that the curtain in the temple is torn in two. This curtain that divided God's presence from humanity is now torn open. And the writer of Hebrews picks up on that and he says that, and he allows us to enter into that holy place. He says, since we have, now he, then he shifts the metaphor. Instead of talking about Jesus as a temple, now he says, and Jesus not only is a temple, but he's also the priest who works in the temple. Jesus is the great high priest, the high priest who would enter into the most holy place and offer the sacrifice to atone for the sins of his people. Saying Jesus is that. Jesus did it once and for all. Uh, And so uh, because of that, we can go into the presence of God with sincere sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Right? So as you're following this, this thread throughout scripture with Jesus, we see that the temple and the priest system find their fulfillment in Jesus. They come together. The focal point of all of that that, uh, setup, that system of worship is fulfilled and complete in Jesus. Jesus' body is the temple. It's where God's presence is on earth. Jesus is the high priest. He uh, atones for the sins. He represents the people to God and God to the people. All that finds its focus in him. But as you read through the story, after Jesus' death and resurrection... 40 days later, Jesus leaves. He ascends to heaven, right? So this God's presence on earth, Jesus as the temple, as the high priest, leaves his people and his disciples are left there. So what are are they to do? How is God's presence gonna be on earth now? Well, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, in Acts 1.8, he says this. He says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. And then he ascends up into heaven. And 10 days later, 10 days after that moment, the disciples are gathered together celebrating a Jewish feast. And suddenly there's a sound of like wind blowing through and then fire appears over each of their heads fire appears and settles upon each of the followers of Jesus. Does that sound familiar to something we heard earlier? Right? It's, this, it's this tabernacle, this temple imagery. Right, When they set the tabernacle up, when they dedicated the temple, then fire came and God's presence filled them. And so God is doing something new. God's presence now over each of the followers of Jesus. It's the day of Pentecost. We realize it's the the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And the um, early leaders in the church picked up on this theme, and they understood it. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Right? So now, where's God's presence going to reside on the earth? It resides in his followers who now are the temple of God. Uh, uh, Peter, this is where Peter comes in. He talks about this. He says, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Right? Each one of us are part of the stone that God is building his spiritual temple. What's more, and then Peter does the same thing that happened in Hebrews where he takes this idea of a temple and combines it with the idea of a priesthood. So his, the followers of Jesus are his temple, God's presence on earth. But then what's more, we're also his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So the followers of Christ are the temple of God. It's where God's presence resides, the Holy Spirit in them. And then they are also the priests who work in that temple, who offer sacrifices, who mediate. And what are the sacrifices that the followers of Christ offer? Well, Romans 12 says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's your spiritual act of worship. It's willing to lay yourself down to give yourself for the benefit of others. Uh, and then we pick it up again in Revelation. Uh, John talks about this idea of being priests. He says that Jesus made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. And as you continue to read on in Revelation, then you see kind of this new perspective where John gets a glimpse of um, the promise uh, where God, like Jesus comes and returns and restores all things, heaven and earth back together again. And in Revelation 21, he's seeing this glimpse of this new Jerusalem, this new city, and he notices something. He notices that there's no temple. He says, I didn't see a temple in the city. And then he realizes, oh, because God and the lamb, Jesus, are its temple. And as you read through that description of the new Jerusalem, you see a very similar three-part layout to that temple structure. And so we we see in Revelation and John's glimpse of the future that Jesus will bring about to redeem and restore all things points very, all the way back to Genesis, to God's original intent for humanity uh, and God to be in full, fully in each other's presence, fully in each other's presence. And so this thread, this image of the temple is woven all throughout Scripture. And it, it kind of speaks to this, this interesting perspective. And if you zoom in and focus just on one thing and ignore the other parts, you can come up with a totally different conclusion. I think for some of us, whether consciously or subconsciously, we fall into that pattern where we operate kind of our modern church context. And we think, well, I need to show up to this building to experience God. I need somebody to lead me in worship and offer these sacrifices so that I can experience God. Right? There's the sacred space and these sacred acts. And you come here one day a week and then you leave and you don't worry about God the rest of the day because God's not out there. God is in here. That is fur- That could not be further from what God is trying to help us see throughout the story of Scripture. And the two main points I want us to walk out of here today is this. One, we are everywhere temples. God's presence is here. God's presence is in this room but it's not because of this room, it's because it's full of followers of Jesus who have God's presence in them, right? Us together are the presence of God. We are his temple. The Holy Spirit lives in us. So we're everywhere temples. See, here's the thing that happens. We read through these miraculous things throughout Scripture, and we're like, man, I I wish there was a pillar of fire in the sky so I could know that God really exists. Like, if I could just see a sign, like this pillar of fire, then my faith would be strengthened. Or we read the New Testament, we say, man, if I could just see Jesus, like, if I could just talk to him and I could just touch him, like, then my faith would be strengthened. Here's the amazing thing. We don't have a God in front of us. We don't have a God beside us. We Have the Holy Spirit in us, in us. That's why when Jesus was talking to his followers, he says, it's better for you that I leave because if I don't leave, then the Holy Spirit won't come to you. We are everywhere temples. That means God's presence is with you everywhere you go. So there is nowhere that you go that God is not. You are never alone. It's never just up to you. God's presence in you, working through you. And yet so often we stifle that, we forget that, and we say, well, i got to show up at this location to experience God. And you miss. God is with you in the workplace. God is with you at school. God is with you at the store. God is with you in your neighborhood because you are an everywhere temple you bring if you're a follower of Christ you bring God's presence with you everywhere you go and there's no place that's too dark for God's light in you to shine through right that changes how you see yourself it changes how you see the church and then the second thing is this we're every day priests right so we're everywhere temples God's presence is with us everywhere we go and then we're every day priests Every single day of the week, everywhere you go, you have the opportunity to represent God, to be that connecting point between God and the people around you to bring that together. You have an opportunity to worship every day, everywhere you go. It's not just an act that happens on a Sunday morning when we gather together because you're an everyday, everywhere temple and an everyday priest representing God to the people around you everywhere we go, right? And so the, the term priest is something that's a little foreign to at least our context, um, but we have the term pastor, right? And there's some, some subtle nuances between those terms, but kind of essentially the same idea, right? We talk about pastors, you know, Pastor Luke and Pastor Brent and Pastor Kevin. Do you know how many pastors Crossroads has? Hundreds. Hundreds of pastors at Crossroads, Because you're a pastor, you're a pastor, you're a pastor, you're a pastor, and you're a pastor. Because we're everyday priests. We represent God every single day, everywhere we go. So listen, that means you are the pastor to your family. That means you are the pastor to your neighborhood. That means you are the pastor to those in your workplace. You are the pastor to your kids' little league team. You are the pastor to your group of friends. Your job is to represent God to them and connect them. We're everywhere, temples, and everyday priests. And I just want to say this too. I'm excited. I'm excited that we we as a congregation voted yes um, for Luke Smith to become the next lead pastor. He's going to do great. He's going to serve and lead us well. But he's not the only pastor here. And if you think that Luke... The entire church rests on Luke's shoulders. You're missing what the New Testament says about the church. If you want Crossroads to succeed and be a thriving, healthy church, it rests on the shoulders of its pastors. But not just one person, not just people with that label, the hundreds of pastors that call Crossroads home. You get to decide what kind of church Crossroads is by how you are an everywhere temple and an everyday priest. That's the New Testament church. And so I hope we can zoom out and see, oh, this is the idea of the temple. This is the idea of the priesthood and how it functions. And when it helps us understand how the church operates today, we see it with a new passion, a new perspective. And we get to go be the church everywhere, every day. So may you realize that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, God's presence in you everywhere you go. And may you realize that you are set apart, called to be a holy priest, to represent God, to worship him, and to bring him to others around you, everywhere, every day. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you and we say thank you. God, we declare that uh, all the stuff we're talking about is only possible because of what you have done. God, your sacrifice, your victory over sin, death, and the grave has allowed us to be forgiven, to be cleansed of all of our past, to now be in the presence of a holy God because he sees us through you. So Jesus, we say thank you for that. And God, I ask Through your Holy Spirit, empower each of us to see our daily lives differently, to see ourselves as an everywhere temple and an everyday priest, bringing your presence to bear in a world that needs to know of your goodness and your joy and your peace and your love. Help us offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, as our spiritual act of worship to you, to say thank you for all you have done for us. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we need you. And Father God, we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Everybody said amen, amen.